0: Hello and welcome to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups. In this episode, we sit down and talk about true transformation, how it's not based in willpower, but actually found in powerlessness. And as we learn to live our lives in this state of freedom, true transformation unfolds. So without further ado, here is Episode 6, Transformation. Well, Sarah and Scott, thanks again for sitting down in this episode as we're going to be talking about another extremely important topic um, as it pertains to restore, but also as it pertains to life in general, is the topic of transformation. And much like we talked about hope, um, I think transformation is talked a lot about now in a lot of spiritual circles. Um, Anybody that was in church, there's a lot of transformation talk Um, But we're really talking about a different kind of transformation. Most transformations talked about adding. It's about um, turning into the person that you were always going to grow into. But, Sarah, um, I'd like for you to start to talk about specifically how you view transformation and how that shapes um, part of how Restore um, approaches people transforming their own lives.
1: Yes, so I think that transformation we do tend to have this vision that transformation is, um, is growing towards this enlightened self. Mm. But, and I think again, we're, we're sort of this uh, amalgamation of all of these other thinkers. And we take all of these thoughts and we put them together into our own process. But this idea that transformation is really more about coming back to the inner core of who you were meant to be. Mm. And, Madeline Lingle, who is one of my author heroes, has this. She writes about the difference between childish versus childlike, mm. and I think the truth is we're not meant to be childish. And that's in biblically speaking, uh, when Jesus talks about the faith like a child. I think what he what he was saying was uh, we're supposed to be childlike mm. in our faith, and we all are. We all come into the world with this childlike faith, Mm. this approach towards life, this curiosity, this creativity, the sort of unhindered, um, you know, natural fascination with the world and ourselves and other people. And then of course, as life goes on, all of that gets muted Mm. and thwarted. And even if we're nurtured in a great environment, we're still subject to all of the ways of the world, and it's tough out there. Mm. So, I think the journey of transformation is really the journey back to who God made us to be in the first place. Mm. Um, and, in a sense, that is, I think, our childlike self is often our more enlightened self, anyway. Mm. I mean, we, you know, we grow up as adults, we, we're learning about the world around us. We get a deeper understanding, but there's something about our childlike self that actually has very clear view, mm. our perspective of the world. If you think about the things that you observed as a kid, you're usually spot on. Right? Like you, yeah. you usually got it. Yeah. It's just usually the adults around you going, no, 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 mm. that's, not, that's not it. And you're like, well, mm. <laughs> and we lose over time. We have this sort of self-doubt that perhaps that perception's wrong. But I actually think, We have quite a pure faith perspective and Mm. a pure relationship perspective when we're kids. Mm. So all of that for me is transformation. That's what I feel like I have had the work that I've had to do personally is to journey back to who I was originally meant to be. Mm. And I lost it at some point along the way.
0: Mm. That's a completely different paradigm. Scott, what about you? When you think about transformation, your own, you've, you've seen other people transform. Um, is it that returning back back home to ourselves instead of trying to recreate or create an ad? Is it more of a removal process?
2: Well, how I would have defined transformation 20 years ago when I began, or actually 25 years ago now, jeesh, um, that's hard to say. <laughs> but 25 years ago, how I would have defined transformation then and what I believe it is now is completely different. Because mm. I, d- I did used to think I was going to be transformed into a different person, um, and... Um, in actuality, what I now see is at the heart of transformation. It's almost, I like the word transition. I'm transitioning from from where I've been to a much uh, deeper, uh, um, I guess, acceptance of my true self. Mm. Um, and I'm just also an awareness. Um, again, May says that there can be no transformation without awareness. Mm. Um, And awareness is just, I think, that awakening, which is a part of the transformative process, that we, you know, I must look inward to become set free. Um, um, That quote, um, I'll I'll think of his name in a minute, but that um, if we look outward,
0: if we dream. He who looks outward dreams, dreams he who looks inside. Awakens. Yeah, Carl Jung. Carl Jung. Carl Jung. Carl, you, Carl knew a thing or two about life.
2: I love it. But I really think that's a great <laughs> definition of transformation. Mm. Um, I think a lot of us are looking for transformation, dreams, outward belief things, but just an, an inner awakening um, in that part of transformation. But at the heart of transformation, for me, I, I guess a huge breakthrough for me was when I was just picked up an old book that I read years ago by Stephen Covey, mm. uh, Seven Habits of highly effective people. Mm. And um, he had this, this one chapter, he was talking about that if we are always dealing with symptoms, we're just, we're just dealing with the external. Mm. But he goes, if you really want to, basically he said, experience deep, real transformation, you've got to strike at the root,
3: mm.
2: which is, he says, is the paradigm. Mm. And the paradigm is how I see myself and how I see the world, he says it's actually the lens.
3: Mm.
2: I'm looking through this lens and I'm seeing myself and everything, and he says all my attitudes and all my responses will be dictated by that paradigm, that perception, kind of like what Sarah was saying. Mm. So transformation has to occur. I believe that most of us enter transformation, I now believe that there's there's three levels to Mm -hmm. it. The first level we enter into transformation is we have some kind of a crisis that we need stabilized. Yep. And so my focus is, uh, help me stop drinking, help me stop overeating, help yep. me stop um, raging. You know, what, whatever it is that we do, be independent. And so that gets stabilized, and most people stop mm. there because they have a sense of control.
0: Yeah. I fix this problem. I'm going to go back to the my real life. It's everything's okay.
2: Everything's okay. Yeah. And they they miss the deeper inner work. The second level I believe is. That, for Well, what about what was driving us to those behaviors? And I think those are what we would call attachments. Mm. And so those who do go deeper, do more inner work, become more aware of, oh, this is what was driving me. At the very top, which is very wide, where everybody comes in because they're dealing with a crisis. They want to get transformed. And so the crisis gets stabilized. They stop the work. They stop the inner work. Then they go deeper to the second level, and that's where the attachments are. That's th- those are the things that drove us to those behaviors. And those people become aware of those, and they get into a deeper level of transformation. But even a lot of those, they, they stop there because it gets harder to go to the last level. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, Jesus says the, the road gets narrow, mm-hmm. and that's the paradigm. What do I really believe about God, about life, mm-hmm. about myself? And that takes great courage. But those who, and Sarah makes a great word. If we empty that all out there, mm. and that's what I would refer to as kenosis, mm. the emptying out, and that gets all transformed, then we, we I call theosis, which is the divine now comes in. Now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm seeing everything differently. I am responding differently because I am different. Mm. Um, That is the journey of transformation, I really believe. Mm. It's far more of emptying out than it is, and again, we live in a transactional society. I I never realized just how systemic that is on us that we are so addicted to control, Mm. but the, the process of transformation is the emptying out, going deeper and deeper. To where the divine can really pour in. They say that um, we must make room for the new to come in, Mm. and that's what we don't want to do. We want the the new to come in while still holding on to the old. Yeah, you can't.
0: And that's I want to hit on that because that is such as you move in, it gets harder, harder in quotation marks, because the core belief behind moving in is that you're going to sacrifice things that you love. That's that core egoic structure that says, as I move closer to God, he's going to take things from me. He's Mm -hmm. going to take my cherishable things. And I think that people that have gone through this process have realized that all that happens is reinterpretation and healing that comes that they would have never seen, but it does take moving through that process. And I've, I can relate absolutely. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to, oh, well, you know, I've got a, a problem. I just went to this group and I went for a year and like, I don't do that anymore. So things are great, but then you're still at that dinner table. You're still awake at night, and you're just like, "But something that this feels like that's deeper." So I love that cone analogy because it does seem to get darker, quote unquote, darker as you start going down, and it is. It creates an enormous amount of fear as you move into it.
1: It does uh, well that, and that's where I think where we talk a lot about the twelve steps. Here we and and that twelve steps got it right the mm. very first. Step of the 12 steps is the step you have to do every day. Mm. So that step of powerless, being powerless over your human condition, mm. essentially, or you're powerless over whatever it is that is troubling you, is the step that has to happen every single day or the transformation can't keep going. Mm. Every day that we hold on, and I think that this is the truth of, and this is why transformation is not exactly just that growth is not linear yeah. transformation doesn't just go on. It's like beautiful linear path every no. day is because some days you're holding on. Like so, some days you're like, I'm not taking step one. No, it's no all chance. mine. I'm yes. holding on to all of it. Yes. And then the next day you're like, all right, all right, all right, fine powerlessness. Yeah. And then, so you're doing that, but the day that you forget powerlessness at all. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happens. You go to the group for a year, you walk out, you're like, I got this. You're back to forget. You forget every day you got to be turning it over, turning it over. And then you can, you can very easily and quite subtly slide right back yeah. to where you were. And sometimes it's the same problem in a different package. Yep. It just, it shows up in a different way. Yep. Maybe not exactly the way that it was before, but I have this visual of if I, I don't know how many people have seen the movie contact, but it's a movie about Jodie Foster's character. She She's going to look for her father who's, mm. In space. And so she's put in this spaceship and she's put in literally a capsule in a chair in the middle of the capsule. And then she takes off and she's just shaking uncontrollably in the chair. And she the chair is like starting to fall apart and she's going to fall apart as the, the rocket's taking off. And she has the thought to take off the seatbelt and release herself from the chair. Mm. And then she just floats. Mm. Like all of a sudden it's like all that violent shaking stops and she just floats Mm. around the cabin. She realizes she shouldn't have been strapped in the chair in the first place. Mm. So I feel like that's for me, the visual of powerlessness, like just, just let go. Yeah. Just stop trying so hard to sit in the chair. Mm. (laughs) It's going to rock you apart. Yeah. Let go. And the minute you start to let go is the minute you start on the journey. I mean, and let's face it, the transformation journey is a double-edged sword. Mm. It's like it will bring to you all the things that your heart, as we talked about true hope in the last, yep. all the things your heart really desires, but it won't be easy. Yes. It won't be easy.
0: And I think that's the, the core belief that, that talking about paradigms is the reason why people don't move through it is because they don't have hope. They, they, they don't know that by re- re-identifying what hope is, that's what drives the transformation. Most people say, "Listen, I'm willing to transform, but you don't take my business, or don't take my relationship, or don't, you know, don't mess with my family." So, you know, I think that one thing that I've been really hearing a lot lately is that we compartmentalize our our transformation, or we compartmentalize our spiritual life, where it's like, "Okay, I'll give you money because there's a problem over here, but don't touch my family, don't touch my." And I think that, like you're saying, it's that it, it's inviting all of it in and remove and trying as best as you can. It sounds like the word is trust. It's it's a trust process.
2: See that's you know if you it was just life changing for me when I realized that I still saw myself the same way. Mm-hmm. When you really drill down deep, I still saw myself with the same shame lens. I still believe the same things about myself. I'm still believing the same things about the world, and I was not seeing life myself mm-hmm. through the eyes. Of Christ, so that's why when I heard that phrase, that Christ is a paradigm. I realized because Christ is a, is grace, mm-hmm. and grace is the most powerful force in the universe, which says you are loved just as you are. The hardest thing for me to ever accept and believe is when my sponsor and my friends in my recovery community say to me, on my worst days, you know, mm-hmm. you're loved, mm-hmm. you know, and. and you know, it 's just so it 's such a contradiction to everything about us, but I was was the word that I love to associate the transformation is liberation mm. it 's setting free, and what gets set free me mm. from all these things that i 've been clinging to and, um, and and when that and so what I do I, I get the freedom to come home to my true self. Mm. And just love myself. That's why I realize that a big part of my transformation is where I have struggled in love is with myself.
3: Mm.
2: That's been the hardest person for me to love of anybody. Mm. And it's interesting that in uh, Addictions and Grace, if you follow Gerald May's process to transformation, he starts with desire. We wanting the desire to be loved. Mm. And at the the end of it, he he comes down to the last part of the journey to transformation is consecration. Mm. And what is consecration? It's it's no longer about controlling the outcome. It's about truly saying yes at my deepest level to coming home to Christ and to my true self. Wow. And I just, every time I read that, I just, I just get this feeling of peacefulness just come over me. Um, That's. Liberation, mm. uh, and I do want to make one other point. Um, we were talking just in my my group I was doing last week about. Um, you remember when uh, Moses parts the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites get to go, they get to, they get set free. Mm. And they, then they wander around in the desert for a while. And remember what they did? They wanted to go back.
3: Mm.
2: And we always want to go back to Egypt is a pretty good sign that our transformation is incomplete.
3: Mm.
2: You know, that, um, I don't know if it was Tim Keller, but somebody was saying that takes an ongoing inner process of of liberation. We can be liberated, but not really still be free. Mm. And so transformation to me is that. Mm. I am free I mean.
0: Well, I think too that what's and I'm not trying to listen. I think that the Enneagram and all these personality things are wonderful tools for some self awareness and self discovery. And I probably like a lot of our listeners really bought in hot and heavy with that, and thinking, "Oh, well, I'm a seven, so this is so what I do." And I and you just start to identify, so you just start to shift these identities, and it's 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 taking on something and that's going to fix what's happening is now, now it was just an awareness thing. Oh, now I know now. So if I can just figure out and watch my thoughts and do all these things, but, but nothing ever really gets transformed until you really move deep within to that core deep paradigm. Like you're saying, Scott, this is a spiritual journey. This is not an intellectual journey. This will be felt. You, your body will feel it. Like we were talking earlier, Sarah, about different modes of therapy that, Will take you to places within you that your body will literally shake. I mean, we're talking about you you know, it, it is. I mean, it's the it's the hour of the wolf, as some uh, psychologists call it at 3 a.m., where you wake up and you're in a cold sweat. You're what you're really losing is control. And those moments are easy to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this myself, but it's it is that surrender. it, it just seems to be at the nucleus of it to say, I'm going to keep trusting that on the other side of this is, is Christ welcome me home to what was already within me. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to think that when you get there, you're nothing, you're nothing but who you were when you first started, like you said, right off the bat.
2: What I think we have to, the listeners, cause I'm guilty of this as is, is guard ourselves against is that if we go back to that, before, mm-hmm. once we get A sense of control. I'm telling you, we shut down the process. Mm. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I got what I need now. The ego is what wars against that, that freedom, and so we, we stop, and we truly do fiercely cling to what we know. Oh yeah. And when we, and we're terrified of the unknown, which is why people stop on that downward process Mm -hmm. because the deeper you go less control yes you have Mm
0: -hmm. yes
1: yeah I think many times over the years about talking to people about group or why they should get in group or counseling and how many people I've encountered who are like well I've I did that Mm -hmm. I and you're like, well, you did do that, but you <laughs> <You should laughs> doesn't it doesn't mean it's over. <laughs> like, I did that, too. Uh, so I already it's, took the 12 steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I completed the 12 steps. We're uh-huh. done. And you're like, no, it's 12 steps a Process, it's a lifelong process. So that's the part, too, where I think it is, it's, yes, it's very easy to say, check the box. Mm. I did counseling. Mm. I did group. I did this. I did that. But around every corner is another challenge i think the paradox of transformation is it require you cannot transform without risk like yes. you have to risk and you have to risk every day of your life yes and so you should it should be a process of growth every day but mm-hmm. the and and part i think in the very beginning for for people who are walking into the very beginning part of transformation in their lives is that often they don't have a great experience with risk. Yep. They've risked and it was not good. Yes. It did not have a good outcome. wasn't safe. They yep. couldn't be vulnerable, whatever it may be. And so what you're asking of them, we're always very conscious of this when we're in group with people. What we're asking of you is hard. Mm. Like we're asking you to trust us yes. to risk, maybe in a way that you've tried before, but it didn't yep. work out. Yeah. And, uh, or maybe you've never had a safe place in your family or anywhere else to take that risk, but you can't, do it without risk. Mm. And so I think about that all the time in my own life. Sometimes I can't tell you how tempted I am to just excuse myself out of Mm. the, the growing process. Like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. Yeah.
0: Can I just take a break? Can I, I, let me just sit this one out
1: (laughs) today "Mm, and,
0: and I want to, I want to hit on this too. You said it, um, it reminded me of what you said, Sarah, you can only desire to be awakened. You cannot awaken yourself. And if you're still in charge of the process, <laughs> you're probably not awake. And that, that, I think that's, that's the last straw. I think what you're saying is it is that final relinquishment to say, not my will, but your will, not my identity, but your identity. And that's a, that's a real uh, talk about powerlessness. You know, you define that as letting go. Um, that, that may be the riskiest of all in, in that stage.
2: I, I want to say one thing that I really think is important that needs to be mentioned. In that process of transformation, like Sarah's talking about, we know it's ongoing. It's not a one and done type thing. Mm-hmm. I, that was really funny. Because I don't know how many people say, oh, I've, I've, I've done that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Oh, well, it seems really still be working for you. Too, <laughs> you know? But um, in studying Thompson's work, He talks about the power of a secure attachment. Mm. And and I wonder, read a quote of his I came across this week. um, A secure attachment, uh, when you're a child, it's like a parent. But then he makes makes it really clear that all through our lives, we need a secure attachment. Mm. And that secure attachment is a place or a person or it's it's relational that... um, I'm going to get some things that I need to have for that environment mm. to be able to do this type of work. And he says that a secure attachment is in, is fostered in environments in which there is a premium place on empathy, attunement, mindfulness, and compassion, mm. and a proper setting of limits. And I think, wow, that's a perfect description of our small groups. Mm. Um, that's the space.
0: Read those again because I, I, I want to go through each again, because that was, that was beautiful.
2: He says, a secure attachment is fostered in environments in which there's a premium place on empathy, attunement, mm. mindfulness, compassion, and a proper setting of limits. Mm. So, because um, he's saying that we can't do this type work again in isolation. And, and that's what the ego is going to do. Mm. And that's what shame is going to do. This is why I think shame and ego are so intertwined mm. and so I have to have that space mm. where there's other human beings. That's, to, to me, the description of the body of Christ. Mm. Where two or three are gathered in his name. Um, and it's just all those words sum up to
0: grace. Yes. And I think that that is something that I intellectually knew and, and through my life. But when you hit a spot, and you're just then you can just be like, why is this not working? I'm reading the books. I, I, I you know, I know everything about the personality. I, I, this then you move back into shame. It's like guilt and shame never stop. It's like either you're either you're, you know, you're not doing it right, or other people seem to be doing better. And I think that moving into this process with others, there's no greater journey in life to not have to do this alone? Because what we're saying is, yeah, we're talking about the cone, we're talking about relinquishing, but wouldn't it be so much better to have companions on that journey to move through that process that's also saying, I see that in you, let's keep going. I know it's hard, I'm here for you. I mean, that's why people go to AA every day. I mean, people go sometimes twice a day because it is a daily thing of, of letting go. And I wanted to close out, you were talking about... um the the tie between powerlessness, which as an American culture, you can't get any more of a sinful word than being powerless. That is just being powerful is everything in our culture, in our Western society. We're having to learn that powerlessness is power. The meek shall inherit the earth. And so let's close out a little bit with why we should embrace powerlessness instead of the way we were taught, especially as guys to be powerful or girls, you know, go be a powerful woman, be a powerful man. How can we relearn powerlessness so that we embrace it instead of being afraid of it?
2: Well, people who have not been in recovery, they hear that word powerlessness and they think we're saying that they're helpless. And, Mm. and that's the kind of the American way. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and Mm. make your, Make your way. What we're saying and the, the meaning of powerlessness comes from the first beatitude for me, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, for those can we have it. And that is when you realize that, as Bradshaw says in Healing Shame Binds You, that the healthy side of shame is that I have limits. Mm-hmm. I, I I need others. I need God. I you know, and which is I think what Christ is saying in the first beatitude. The most blessed place you're ever going to be is when you realize that it. You've come to the end of yourself. You need help. Mm. And you ask for it. Mm. But again, that is such a difficult place for us in our ego-driven ways. And then we isolate more and more. So powerlessness is the beginning of transformation. It's the heart of it. Mm. Because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I need a power greater than myself to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. I also think... Mm. If we frame powerlessness as it's like taking a deep breath, that's how I always try to talk about it mm. in group. It's like just take a deep breath mm. and just it, you know it's like you've been carrying around a giant sack of yes. you know rocks your whole life, you're yes. like, just put it down yes. it's gonna be okay, yeah, and in many ways, it's like we don't want to give up control over those things, and at the same time that's what's killing us we yeah. are we are crushed under the burden. Mm of our own worry and anxiety. I mean, I it, it wasn't until I sort of understood the idea of powerlessness of how much I worried. Like, mm. I, I started to realize, like, how much on a daily basis I worried mm. about money, the future, yes. my kids, yes. their education. Their, I mean, they could, the list goes on and on and mm. on, none of which I control at all. Mm. Like, in the end, I do my best every day. I cannot predict. I don't know what's going to happen yeah in five minutes from now, Mm. you know, but I was always, my worry was my go-to for controlling Uh, that made me feel somehow like I had the handle on the future. Mm. Like none of us have a handle on the future. So when I finally realized that's just, I just got to put that down. Mm. Why am I carrying that around? It Mm. makes my life miserable. Mm. So that's what I always hope for people is when they master this idea of power, that sounds when you control powerlessness. That that sounds kind of contradictory. <laughs> when you learn, but how, to but when you learn how to control powerlessness, you know you're
0: going in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the control opposite. over being powerless. But it just
1: might be a contradiction. <laughs> <It might> be <laughs> <not>. <laughs> when we yes, when we understand, that's what I mean. Well, uh, I think powerlessness. I,
0: I really appreciate Sarah, you you bringing that par that metaphor. Of carrying the bags. I've heard it said two other ways. Maybe the listeners can appreciate this. One of them is it's like taking a knife from a baby. That baby does not know that that knife can hurt them. And it's, or it's like going in for a root canal. It's like a spiritual root canal to saying, this may hurt a little bit, but I promise when it's all done, you're going to feel so much more free. And then it's, um, the last one I heard, I thought was beautiful was it's when a caged animal has been caged their entire life. And they finally open the cage and that zookeeper is trying to get them out of that cage and they are fighting tooth and nail because you are used to that little prison that you've built. And and it always seems to bring you from littleness to, to, to grandiose. It brings this grandiose nature to your spirit where you're like, I wasn't even that little bitty egoic thought, you know, I wasn't, you know, Jake with his uh, personality things. I was so much more. And it's by unlearning all of those things that you don't lose anything. Mm-hmm. You only gain. And I think that's the takeaway is talking about hope. You know, we're not talking about getting into groups so that you can find out how powerless you are and just leave completely empty and in despair. It's really mm-hmm. trusting this process to say you're going to come away transformed and you're going to have challenges, and we were talking about this earlier. It's You're going to have some of those 3 a.m. nights. You're going to have some of those moments where you're like, man, what am I doing? You know, this is not working out for me. This is not, but it is so much easier to do that in a group format. So um, do you guys want to add anything else as we close out on powerlessness? Maybe something that has helped you, a mantra, something that when, because I think that anybody that's doing this work, they've experienced that almost abrupt attack of the ego. This like, whoa, 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 whoa wait. Like, you know, what are you doing? Like, h- how do you, for listeners that are trying to move through this process and continue to relinquish control, what are some helpful things that they can do or to think of when those moments come, which they do come, when it's, you, you feel like you're at that precipice where I'm either going to go back or I'm going to keep going? What have, what have been some of the things that have helped you all personally or you've seen in group help people just keep, keep doing the work?
2: Well, for me, it's real simple. I am I, I, dependent upon others. Mm. I the, without those, and I'm I'm not talking about just any others. I'm talking about those relationships that I can be completely transparent, where I can be that have deep intimacy, and I can be as vulnerable as I need to be. I can tell them anything and everything, and they're going to stay right there and be with me. Mm. That's the empathy, compassion, atonement uh, that I have to surround myself with because that's the only way that it gets mirrored back to me um, that I experience powerlessness. I mean, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's where I'm at. And I hear the message back. We love you. Mm. We are for you and we will never ever abandon you. Mm. Uh, And, uh, and I know that seems that voice and that message seems to give me the ability to put it back down, Mm. to to sit it back down Mm. and, and and then to get back on the path. Mm. Um, Otherwise, I drift into my shadows. Yeah. I isolate, and then, um, and then nothing—nothing good—comes
0: from that. Yeah, mm. Mm. that's beautiful, Sarah.
1: I think for me, well, and it's very similar because I do think that other people's voice, supportive voices in our lives, is the voice of God supporting mm. us, right? I mean, mm. that's that's the whole point of human relationship is we're supposed to be reflecting the nature of God back to each other. But I think for me, so for me, it's very similar, but I always find that the, when I, when I drift or I'm struggling with ego or worry or anxiety, it tends to be for me always the root that I think God checked out somehow. Mm. Like I, I just, I start to believe this idea I'm separated. Mm. And then I always go back to that, you know, nothing separates us from the love of God. I have, for me, I always have to return to a space where I say, God, what I need from you today is, for me to understand that you care for me to understand what it means for you to be pure love that Mm. you do not operate in the same way that humans operate. I need you to show up for me that Mm. in that way today, Mm. because that's it. I mean, that's, that's where I've drifted off to. It's like, I'm on, I'm on my own. Like this is in life. I gotta, I gotta take it. Um, And I'll go, I mean, let's face it. I try to do this work, but I'll go sometimes weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'm like, I guess I've I've got it like yep. you know and but part of that's my own fault for an, I don't I'm not checking in yeah. I'm not taking the time I'm not I'm not trying to connect yep. um, with the idea that God is in it with me so that's where I always come back to is I'm like if I start to feel that way I realize I catch myself and go well that's ridiculous mm. I'm not you know. I'm not in it by myself, mm. but I do. That's my old wounding. That's beautiful. I know it's there. I have to always be conscious of it.
2: Mm.
0: That's beautiful.
2: You know, I was going to just say that it, I think it's really important that in the process of transformation, and that's a key word, process. Mm. It's two steps forward, one step back. I mean, I'm, it's not a straight line. But if if I am paying attention to what you were saying earlier, you heard that phrase, paying attention is huge.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, am I paying attention to what I need to be paying attention to? Then I'm putting myself in the best position mm. each day to experience God. And um, so what question to the listeners is, do you have those secure attachments in your life?
3: Mm.
2: We have that space, those groups find them. Verne Brown says, wherever they are, run to them. Mm. Um, but, putting myself in the best position every day to remain in that process to I can have that internal growth, that spiritual journey, um, and my staying in the process yes. of transformation. Yeah,
0: and in a weird way, it takes willpower to be powerless. I mean, it's, it, it takes the decision when you set up in the morning to say, I see that, I see that, you know, that temptation to move into control, but I am using my willpower to become powerlessness. And it's another paradox, but it really is part of the process. And I just, Sarah, that separation thing is, that was a beautiful thing because it really all comes back. Everything comes back to that mm-hmm. thought that I am alone in this world and God has forgotten me mm-hmm. and it's up to me to fix this. That is the core fear. And, and that's, that's beautiful. And
2: that's a paradox. Mm. You know, and that has to be transformed. Do you know what D- Gerald May said? The, the definition of an addiction is mm. control.
0: <laughs> That's great. Wow. Well, Scott and Sarah, thank you. This was another beautiful episode. And we hope that, um, you know, that as you listen to these, that you, you find your story, but really that you also know that this process is so much easier, so much um, less frightening and so much more um, life-altering when it's done with other people that are there to support and to see you as you are. Well, thank you so much, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Restore Small Groups is a nonprofit based in Nashville, Tennessee. To find out more, visit us online at RestoreSmallGroups.org.